Ad blockers in the browser protect us from the most annoying marketing messages that the internet tries to serve to us. But we still pay a price for these ads. We pay the bandwidth costs of requesting these pages. Our browsers are slowed down by these extra requests. Pihole is a hardware-based ad blocker. Pihole acts as a DNS server for all of the traffic that makes its way onto your network. Pihole has a blacklist of all the URLs to block, including tracking systems and ad networks. Pihole stops these URLs from communicating with all the devices on your network, including your cell phone. Jacob Salmella started the Pihole project, and he describes it as a black hole for advertiser traffic. In this episode, we explain how traditional ad blocking in the browser works and how things are improved with a piece of dedicated hardware doing the ad blocking. This was also a useful review of the relationship between URLs, IP addresses, your home network, and the broader internet. I also want to announce that we are looking for writers for Software Engineering Daily. We want to bring in some new voices. We're focused on high-quality content about software that will stand the test of time. You're listening to content about software engineering. You probably read content about software engineering. If you want to write, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash write to find out more. We're looking for part-time and full-time software journalists. We want to explain technical concepts and tell the untold stories of the software world. We're looking for writers who want to produce a single piece of content and also people that want to produce a series or want to produce a long-form piece of investigative journalism. We just launched a new design for softwareengineeringdaily.com. So if you'd like to work with us, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash write. You can also send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. I'd love to hear from you. Jacob Salmala is the creator of Pihole, a piece of hardware that blocks ads. Jacob, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yes, thank you for having me. You created a hardware ad blocker. There are plenty of software ad blocking solutions. Why isn't a software-based ad blocker sufficient? Well, the hardware is nice because you can have a dedicated device, kind of like a router would be but it also just blocks ads for all your devices without having to install software on each individual computer. So you just install it once. Are there any other problems with software ad blockers? They're kind of slow because they try to use your computer's resources and load or block that. They have to actually load the ad and then block it, whereas Pi-hole will block it before it even reaches your network. And why did you start working on an ad blocker? I had a kind of a boring job and I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I just started, you know, surfing the net and I got really sick of those advertisements and then I had backed this project on Kickstarter called the the Ad Trap. It was bas- basically the same thing as a pie hole is, but it was really not very well made and it was kind of slow and clunky. What were the flaws with it? Well, one of them was that it was just really slow. It didn't. So, I mean, it blocked the ads, but then your whole network crawled to a, a slow, slow pace. Was the software open source? Did you know what they were doing wrong on a networking level? Yes, they were basically using a proxy, whereas Pi-hole is a DNS server. What's the difference between those two? A proxy will route all your traffic through it, and the DNS server will just route only the DNS queries. Okay. Explain what a DNS query is. So when your computer wants to look up where a website is, it's basically the, the phone book of the internet. So 
if you want to find out where google.com is, you have to send a DNS query to a DNS server and it will tell you where to find it. Meaning it maps the URL to the IP address? Yes. Okay. So let's start from the basic premise of I go to a, a website with an ad and because I want to explain this from a, a high-level view first. So let's say I go to beefrecipes.com. Let's say beefrecipes... Actually, beefrecipes.com is for sale. So if anybody wants to buy beefrecipes, I check before the show. It's available. <laughs> but I always use it as an example because it sounds like a site where you would go and you would be confronted with all these horrendous ads among beef recipes like recipe sites are some of the most atrocious ad-based websites that i've seen but let's say beefrecipes.com is this atrocious ad-based website i go there let's say i do not have an ad blocker and i load beefrecipes.com there are banner ads all across it what's happening there when i enter beefrecipes.com into my browser and i don't have an ad blocker i'm not sophisticated at all all these banner ads are going to load what are some of the different things that are going to happen as that page gets rendered and loaded yeah so you might actually only see that you're loading beefrecipes.com but in the background there's actually a lot of other domains that are being queried like google ad domains other analytics sites and stuff so even though you're only visiting beefrecipes.com, there might be, you know, dozens of other domains being loaded in the background. And that's usually how the ads are served because, you know, it's easier to use like a third-party site than, you know, to dynamically host them on your own site. So you just use a service. And these ad networks that are getting contacted, is that problematic? It seems like they would be asynchronous with the page. And so it wouldn't actually hurt my page's performance. Well, a lot of times the ads actually load before the the actual website content. Interesting. So the content just gets completely blocked until the ads get loaded. Yeah. And what are some of the other types of companies that are getting contacted, aside from ad networks, that tracking companies and other middleware companies? How much do you know about this soup of ad tech companies? Just what I've seen when, you know, browsing the logs that Pi-hole generates. There's all sorts of different analytic companies and Sometimes even the company itself will, you know, be making calls home to different subdomains that they own. Do you have any idea what these different companies do? Like, I, I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen this LumaScape thing? Uh, no. So the LumaScape, you should look this up sometime. It is this graphic of all the different companies that are in the ad tech landscape and how they interact with each other and you know, there's just thousands of companies and how they interact with each other is kind of fascinating. But the end result is that you have a lot of scripts on your page, of course, and they're doing all kinds of different things. I guess it doesn't really even need to be in your purview. You don't need to know what these different analytics companies are doing. You just know that they are all asymptoting towards doing the same kind of work, which is determining who you are, what you're interested in, and how to serve ads to you. Yes, exactly. And they all sell it and share it between amongst themselves. Yes. And there's some sort of market that is opaque to us, but I'm sure if we looked into it, we could find out how sleazy it is and how much uh, data sharing there is. Not to not to cast stones across the entire ad tech market, but there is a lot of improper behavior. I think you would agree? Yes, I, I, I agree. What happens if I use a browser-based ad blocker on beefrecipes.com? Yeah, so your computer will actually download all the ads and then 
the ad blocker will, you know, par- parse through its lists and decide what's an ad and what's not. And then it'll just not show you the ad. It'll hide it from your view. Mm-hmm. And what happens instead if I am using Pi-hole, your hardware ad blocker? Let's say I had that and let's say I have that on my network and I go to beefrecipes.com. Yeah, so any domain that tries to load an ad will be blocked before it even leaves your network because Pi-hole knows about it before it sends it out to the internet. So you can save on, you know, your bandwidth because you don't actually download the, the images or the video or whatever it is. Pi-hole blocks traffic at the network level rather than the browser. Explain in a little more detail why that is significant. Well, the bandwidth savings are one of the greatest benefits, I think. And in addition, you know, you're not at the browser plugins. They still get your information and Pi-hole will prevent them from even getting it in the first place. So if my smartphone is connected to my Wi-Fi network rather than you know, cell, my cellular network and Pi-hole is also connected to that Wi-Fi network. If I understand correctly, Pi-hole can block the ads that would get served to my smartphone, right? It, ha- it has, the Pi-hole has to be on your Wi-Fi network. Yes. Okay. So let's say I did not have Pi-hole. How does traffic flow through my Wi-Fi network and into my phone? Give kind of a, a diagnosis for how that works, and then we'll talk about how it differs with Pi-hole. Yeah, so usually your router will act as the, the gateway. So any t- your phone will connect to your router, and then it'll go out to the internet and vice versa. And you mentioned this DNS query that occurs. Explain where the DNS query or DNS queries fit into this exchange of traffic between the broader internet and my cell phone on my Wi-Fi network. Yeah, so a lot of the times your DNS server in your house is actually your router. So your queries get sent there first. And since your router doesn't actually know where the website is, it has to send it to an upstream DNS server, which is basically what Pi-hole is acting as, but it's a, a DNS server on your local network. So instead of asking like Google Google's DNS servers where a site is, you first first ask your Pi-hole DNS server, and then if it if it doesn't know the answer, it will go ask whatever upstream server you set. So in the case without Pi-hole, I take out my phone, I enter in beefrecipes.com into my mobile browser, and my query hits my router. My my query for beefrecipes.com hits my router, and the router needs to look up the IP address that is associated with beefrecipes.com and the router is going to go to an upstream DNS server to find beefrecipes.com, to find the IP address to hand back to my phone to look up that information. Is that correct? Precisely. Okay. And then what happens after my phone gets that DNS lookup? So then it knows where the website is and it can load the content. Does it have to go back through the router to find the content that maps to that IP address? Yes. Okay. And then so in contrast with Pi-hole acting as the DNS server, does Pi-hole take over that entire process so that my phone is querying Pi-hole for the... URL and then also querying Pi-hole to get the content associated with the IP address from that URL? 
So Pi-hole, basically, the whole process is the same. You're just asking Pi-hole first where the website is. And Pi-hole knows about the ad blocking domains. So it'll say, you know, if this is an ad domain, don't do anything with it. But if it's a real domain, send it upstream and do the same process you would normally do. But don't you need to first get some details about the page before you know what are the other advertising-related domains that are on that page? Like, at first, I need to find the IP address associated with beefrecipes.com, and then that IP address will give me access to the page, and then that page will have a bunch of scripts on it, and then the scripts will tell me, then based on the scripts, Pi-hole will be able to determine which of these to actually get IP addresses for as well. Is that correct? No. Okay. So you actually, when you set up Pi-hole, you download a a pre, pre-made list of known ad-serving domains. And then when your computer requests it, request, makes a request to one of those domains, it will recognize it and just not send it anywhere. It'll send it into a black hole, per se. Okay, so to revisit this, I go to beefrecipes.com. It makes a DNS query from my phone to Pi-hole. Pi-hole gets the IP address associated with that DNS query. And yep. and then what happens next? So then the website will probably also be trying to load several other ad-serving domains. So instead of, you know, going through your router and out to Google's DNS servers, it'll just stop right at the pie hole because it already knows that that's an ad-serving domain. So it won't send it anywhere. Okay. At what point does that first instance of the page get received by Pi-hole? Like, like at what point is the DNS, sorry, the IP address location found and the page content being received by Pi-hole so that Pi-hole can assess what's going on on that page and which of the domains on that page to block? Well, so Pi-hole doesn't actually do anything with the, the page. All it knows about is the domains. It doesn't, it doesn't know anything about the like the web page or what's on it. Okay, so I think I'm understanding now. So my phone gets the page. My phone will make several other DNS queries, and then Pi-hole, it, it makes all this all those other DNS queries to Pi-hole, and then Pi-hole blo- just blocks those DNS queries. Yes, so it's basically just filtering out the domains that are ad-serving. Okay, Okay, I think I understand. So why is this the best model? Why do you need a DNS server to effectively do this ad blocking? Uh, Well, it's nice because it allows you to just have one device on your network and then you don't need to install software on anything. So like your smart TVs and your, you know, phones that have mobile games with ads in them, like those can all be blocked without having to install anything. So it's like you can block ads in non-traditional places. And I could do this on just a Raspberry Pi. So Pi-hole, the reason for the name Pi-hole is that I can install it on a Raspberry Pi. And I find this interesting because I thought that routers, so Pi-hole, you know, a Pi-hole, it's like Raspberry Pi is like $5 or $10 piece of hardware. Uh, routers are like 40 or 50 bucks at least, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything, is there any kind of special hardware going on in, the, in that 40 or $50 router? <laughs> Actually, the Pi is usually more powerful than what's in your router. (laughs) Really? 
Yeah, more more RAM, more specs and everything. Oh, so this is just a racket. So the router market is just a racket. <laughs> Could be. No, are you being cagey here or do you know? <laughs> no, I mean, well, I guess I've never looked at, you know, the specifications of routers in detail, but I know they usually don't have a gig of RAM like the Pi does. What else does a router do? Like, <laughs> could I just like outsource all of the effort of a router to a Raspberry Pi? Yeah, why not? Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you can set up a lot of the routers, like run, you know, some sort of Linux type firmware too. So the same DNS server that Pi-hole uses is actually what's already installed on a lot of routers called DNS mask. Interesting. So, so router software is mostly open source. Uh, it depends. You can install open source stuff. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, maybe we'll have to do a separate show on routers and maybe we'll have to start our own (laughs) router company. There we go. Why do you need dedicated hardware? Why can I just install this on, let's say I have a desktop computer, you know, I've got a Linux machine in my house that I just keep on all the time. Can I just install Pi-hole on that and will it do the job? Yeah. You just have to tell it where, tell your devices where, where the DNS server is. And is running that software bandwidth intensive if I, if I just run it on my uh, home desktop computer? No. Pi-hole can run alongside all sorts of different software. It's really low low resources. And so one thing that you need is this whitelist of ad-serving domains, right? A blacklist. Or, or blacklist. Yeah. Blacklist. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how do you get the blacklist? Uh, so there's lots of sites out there that just, that's all they do is they make, you know, lists of known domains that you might want to block. So we basically, just, Pi-hole just basically downloads all those lists and, you know, removes any duplicates and then generates one giant list of domains to block. What do you think about the approach of blacklisting versus whitelisting domains that would be acceptable to go to? Yeah, so with Pi-hole, that's probably kind of difficult because you'd, you know, you could take the approach of blocking everything and only whitelisting what you need, but you'd probably find that most of your sites would be broken because of all the additional domains that actually load in the background. So blacklisting known stuff is a better approach, I think. When an ad gets blocked by Pi-hole, is there any money that changes hands on the ad tech side? No. It prevents the ad from being even being downloaded or being sent. So as far as they know, they're from their end, they don't see that the query was ever made. How much does application performance for my devices improve once Pi-hole is blocking the ads? Pretty much everyone I've talked to notices a difference because one, the ads aren't being downloaded. So, you know, your computer's trying to do less. And then the Pi-hole actually caches the DNS requests. So like if you've been to a site before, it'll remember where where it is. So it doesn't have to do the whole lookup process again. So let's take a, a use case like me. So my main computer is my laptop. I occasionally take it around on trips and stuff, but I would say... 25 out of 30 days, my laptop sits on my desk all day and is connected to some external monitors. And so you kind of use it like a desktop. Would it make sense to install Pi-hole on my laptop? You could if you wanted to. 
what a lot of people do is they'll set up like a virtual machine or they'll just leave their, you know, Pi connected at home and set up a VPN to connect to it when they're on the go. Hmm. Tell me more about that setup. Yeah, so you'd basically have your Pi set up at home with Pi-hole installed on it. And then you'd also install VPN software. So then when you're like out on your cell phone on the cellular networks, you would basically connect back to your home network and you'd get all the ad blocking benefits over, you know, LTE or whatever. So I, I don't know almost anything about modems or routers. I'm having a hard time understanding why... From this conversation, I'm having a hard time understanding why we even have dedicated modem and router software and hardware. So I'm, I know this is not necessarily in the purview of the hardware ad blocker you've made, but can you help me understand why we have dedicated hardware for for modems and routers? Yeah, so the most home routers are like a multi-use device, so they act as a, a gateway out to the internet. They act as your in-home DNS server. And they also act as like a switch for local traffic on your network. So it's kind of like three devices in one. And that's just, you know, when you say home router, it's, you know, usually you'll get all three of those things. Is there a reason why that is not in the the desktop, like the desktop devices that we have? Like, uh, I mean, why can't they just throw all that hardware into a desktop computer? Well, because then, I mean, you could, but... You, you want all the other devices on your network to take care, you know, take advantage of it too. So it works better as a separate device. Okay, right. Okay. So I think data usage also improves quite dramatically with Pi-hole. So do you know any numbers? Like how much is ad middleware taking up in terms of my data usage? <laughs> yeah, we've seen stats anywhere from 5% to 30%. 30%. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Are there any security concerns of running Pi-hole? Is there anything that could go wrong if it if my DNS, my homegrown DNS server got hacked? Yeah. I mean, anybody could see the websites or domains that you're trying to visit, but it's like that with any any DNS server you use same thing can happen on your router that's acting as your dns server so that's certainly a privacy concern but are there any more severe security concerns not that i can think of at the moment like no man can man in the middle stuff occur well if they get control of your dns server that's basically what they would do they try to send instead of sending your queries nowhere they might send them to a fake website that they set up that the criminals who or whoever set up right so then does security become an important aspect of the development around Pi-hole that you've, uh, you know, because you're, you're running this open source project. Is security at top of mind for you? Yes, it is. Yeah, anytime anybody gives us a bug, we try to fix it. And there's been a lot of helpful people that have actually contributed to the project too. So, you know, a lot of times the community will come up with a fix for stuff. What's an example of a security bug you found? Uh, so like one recent one that comes to mind is we're basically getting some variables from a file, but at that same time, we, you know, somebody could put their own code in there and we'd basically be running it arbitrarily without knowing what it was. Okay. Tell me about something unexpected, something else unexpected you've learned about computer networking from the Pi-hole project. 
Well, I don't know, but I guess it's interesting to see how many domains are actually being queried and like what kind of stuff is calling home. Like there's been reports of, you know, someone buying a cheap Chinese phone and all, or a cell phone and all it does is just, you know, send analytics back to the mothership. <laughs> so you get a cheap phone, but you're just, you know, sending them all sorts of data that they can use. Do you know how, how much the data, like the how much that compares to if it's just a, a U.S. phone? Because, I mean, U.S. phones are sending a lot of data back to the mothership. How does it compare? Yeah, I mean, I, that was just one example I, that stood out to me. But then there's like, you know, the smart TVs, you know, they'll they try to like snap pictures of what you're watching at what times during the day. And then they send that stuff all back to the mothership. Oh, that's dirty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And smart light bulbs too, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was one light bulb that was like a ridiculous amount of queries, like millions and millions of them. It's like, I don't know. It just seems excessive to me, but I don't know. How does a light bulb even, I guess, what insights does it have about the network? How could a light bulb have a lot of analytics data it seems like a kind of a read-only type of device well sure but you know think about it if you come home at a certain time every day and you turn your lights on they know what time you came home and you turn them off at night they know what time you go to bed so they can you know send you a targeted ad at anywhere from the time you're home to the time you go to bed and they'll start start to recognize patterns how would a light bulb be able to get that data synced with your identity? Yeah, that part, I don't know. I mean, that's the ad networks and all the analytic people. That's something on their end that they can pinpoint it on you. Have you found anything else unexpected or creepy or interesting about ad tech from working on this project? Just lots of other examples like those smart TVs and the bulbs and... Give me another one. Give me some more 1984 stuff. <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment. I mean, we, we basically had enough material for like, you know, six iterations of a blog post about people finding out stuff that happened on their network that they weren't expecting. Tell me your perspectives on the ethics of ad blocking. I think it's gotten out of hand. Like they're just shoving ads in your face and stealing your information it's just kind of rude if you ask me (laughs) what about the idea that this is the cost of getting these amazing free services that we have yeah i mean there are people that depend on it and make money off of it but it just is gotten out of hand in my opinion what do you feel that the advertising industry does that's unethical i don't know if it's unethical but it's just uh, rude and annoying like if i'm you know browsing a tech website i don't want to see an ad for like a swimsuit or something it's like they'll just show you whatever ad they think you want to see and then it's like kind of creepy like if like it happens with amazon ads a lot like you'll go look at something on amazon and then the next thing you know the next page you load there's the you know a hundred other similar product so it's like they're obviously tracking you and building a profile about you now the trade-off is that in some ways that's useful if if there is this panopticon of people learning information about me in order to figure out what to sell me in some ways that's useful if it's if it's just beneath the surface and they're 
a little more tasteful about how they serve me products and serve me ads, it's it's not so problematic, right? I mean, it could be quite useful. It's it's more about the offensiveness and and the delivery medium of those ads, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like I would love to find out about a new product of something that I like or something similar, but it's like, you know, sometimes you're reading a website and they'll pop up and say, here, buy this, or then you scroll down and then the page jumps back up because there's another ad that has to load and it's just like annoying. (laughs) So for this, I feel the same way when I go to somebody's blog and then I'm getting ready to close the page and a thing blinks into view about signing up for their newsletter. Yeah. Why on earth would I sign up for your newsletter if you just did this to me? Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, this is a totally different conversation than the privacy discussion. There are people out there who take, and and many of them in in the Piehole community that have dedicated hours and hours and hours to this project that are just offended by the idea that there is a Borg out there that is collecting all of this information on me and it infringes on my privacy. Does it infringe on people's privacy? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, plenty of people feel it does because they're, you know, building a profile about you and some people feel what business is it of theirs to know, you know, what products you like to look at or whatever. Do you think it's possible to opt out of the dragnet of of information that's being gathered about us? I think you can, but I don't know that they'll respect it. So in, in practice, it's not really possible. Yeah, because for most people, you know, that information's already out there with several, you know, several different companies. Right. Have you had a lot of privacy conversations with people in the open source community, the open source piehole community? Yeah, it comes up a lot in our... In our forums. That's why a lot of people use it. How is that open source community arranged? Well, we just have some, you know, forums. Like we have our own forum software and people sign up and discuss things. And then there's like a subreddit and, you know, our our GitHub issues. People bring up privacy concerns there as well. And what kinds of conversations are going on in the community right now? Like what are the hot button issues? Basically everything we've been talking about so far. What have you learned about running an open source community? <laughs> it is challenging. There, yeah, I think our community is one of the best ones because, like, we got we have power users that will go out there and answer questions every single day. You know, our developers are out on the forums every day too. And but then there's a lot of work to actually keep the project running, which a lot of people don't see. How have you adjusted to that? Because uh, I mean, I personally we have this software engineering daily open source project and trying to run it is is kind of strange i mean it's especially strange for me because it's we we're kind of a a business but also have this open source project so it's a little bit confused i think it's a little you know people probably are not as spiritually motivated to contribute to it because there's a business side to it but i feel like with piehole the motives are there's no business model for piehole and so I, i think people can maybe feel a little bit more spiritually compelled to contribute to it. Yeah. I mean, Piehole is a business too. I mean, we have an LLC, but everything we do is, you know, we put all our code out there. We put, 
you know, information about us out there that we feel comfortable giving. What's your business model? <laughs> we, I don't really know exactly. We're trying to figure that out actually, because <laughs> we're, we're at a point where like, we're spending so much time on the project that, you know, it's getting unsustainable because we're just running off donations. So it's like, there's, there's at least one guy that works almost 80 hours a week on it. And like every night after work, I come home and spend a couple hours online just answering questions and actually trying to improve the product too. So it's like, how does this person spend 80 hours a week? That's a good question. (laughs) He's amazing. (laughs) Is he retired? No, he runs his own consulting business and yeah, he just has, I think he just really likes working on the project, which is what all of us, like the reason all of us keep coming back is because we like it and it's fun. Is it true that Adblock Plus, which is this super popular ad blocker, is it true that they have made a deal with some ad tech companies to allow certain ads to be displayed because Adblock Plus gets paid? Yes. What do you think about that business model? (laughs) (laughs) I think they're making lots of money, but I don't think it's right. (laughs) Probably probably not right for Piehole. Right, exactly. Mm. Is Adblock Plus open source? Yes. It is. How are they able to do that if it's open source? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I guess they just don't accept PRs for people who are trying to block specific (laughs) ads. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe Apple acquire you or maybe like Brave. Maybe you could merge with Brave somehow. Have you talked to any of these companies? No. I think a lot of the ones that have gotten really big have kind of, you know, gone the sellout route. What do you mean? Well, like, like Adblock Plus, like they'll, you know, accept money for, or gifts to do something that's not blocking anymore. You think if you were to be acquired by an Apple or a Brave, there would be some comp, there would be a potential compromise there, ethical compromise? Yes. Apple and Brave, that's kind of at the core of their identity is like the privacy and, not serving ads they're not ad based businesses there are ads within google within apple products but they're quite tasteful i i've not really seen an apple ad that has disgusted me i think we we pose a threat to some of those larger ad blocking companies in the way they're currently doing things what do you mean well cuz like we're basically denying them the money that they are currently getting well you're talking about adblock plus i'm talking about apple or brave well, just any, I'm talking about anybody in general, like anybody that would try to acquire us would most likely be buying us to squash us out. Oh, wow. I see what you're saying. So you're saying this kind of technology should be commodified. It shouldn't be part of a, within some walled garden, it should be something like maybe, maybe a model could be you license your software to getting bundled in with with these routers that we're talking about, these are potentially overpriced routers, maybe they should be bundling in Piehole. Why not? Yeah, that's actually one of our top feature requests out there right now. That would be awesome. Have you talked to any router companies? Uh, no, we haven't. But <laughs> we've been growing so much lately, we just have been trying to keep our heads above water. What's the growth? Like, Give me some numbers. How much has the growth been? Crazy. Like, It started out with just me back in 2014. And now we have like six basically full-time developers working on it. Six full-time developers. So, but they're open source contributors. Does it cost money or do you pay them? 
yeah, we give whatever after expenses, whatever is left over, we give, you know, split amongst the developers, whatever's left over after expenses. Where do your expenses come from? Hosting our website and our servers. We've had some legal fees with our, you know, our name is trademarked and everything, stuff like that. What are the server costs like? I mean, aren't you, you're just hosting, it's like a basic static website, right? Well, yeah, we have a website. We also have a server for, so people can send their logs to us so we, if they need help, you know, troubleshooting their installation. And then we've got a lot of internal servers that we use for just running running Pi-hole. So we have like a, a internal chat room, authentication servers for identity and accounts and everything. So it's kind of crazy. So if I deploy my Pi-hole to my home network, does that Pi-hole ever call home to your your centralized domain system like to, to report no. back statistics? Or, no, nothing like that. No. The only time it sends information is when you tell it to, when you send us your, your debug logs, if you're having trouble with your installation for some reason. Right. And that so that's not too bandwidth intensive, but it must be happening. It's just a text file that gets sent to us. Right. But it's it's happening often enough that this is costing you significant hosting costs? I don't know if you'd say significant. I mean, it's um, it's a monthly cost because it's a service we just always have out there. Right. I mean, some months our, our servers have been $0 because we've gotten like, you know, referral bonuses from like DigitalOcean and stuff. So sometimes we haven't paid anything. But other months, if there's no referrals, you know, then we have to dish out for it. Mm. Interesting. So maybe you've got, what, like 100 or 200 bucks a month in server costs, and then you've got legal fees, which probably amount to, I don't know, maybe you've spent like ten or 15000 on on legal fees. So it's maybe, what are you thinking, like between thirty dollars and $50,000 a year to run this thing? Probably not that much, no. We actually posted a profit and loss thing of what some of our expenses were on a blog post recently. I don't, I don't think it was that much, though. Okay. I mean, it's so interesting because... The biggest companies, the biggest, highest margin companies in the tech sector are Facebook and, and Google mm-hmm. because they sell pixels on on a screen. And it's a really high margin business because all they do is just get paid to display these, these pixels. And obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but it's essentially fixed cost because they pay for the code to display those ads and to you know build those ad networks and there's not as much variable cost and and once they get it up and running it just makes them really good money and this is potentially a threat to it i think i read that you can't actually block facebook right like there's some some aspect of facebook that they make it impossible for you to block at the hardware level yeah like they're they're basically self-hosting their ads so if you tried to block it with pie hole, you'd block all of Facebook. Yeah, I guess. In, but in some ways, that's, you know, if more companies did that, that would, that t- I mean, Facebook ads, I actually find them like, they're a little more tasteful, right? Would you agree? I don't use Facebook, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, have you never used Facebook? I have in the past, but yeah, I don't anymore. Okay. Interesting. So, Okay, so we talked a little bit about the the growth in the open source community, the growth of, of your expenses, the growth of the project. What about the growth in, in usage? Do you have numbers for that? Yeah, so 
quite a while ago we were at like our closest estimate was like you know 60,000 installations recently it was when that bloomberg article came out we looked again and it was closer to like 140,000 wow okay that's just all public information you can get from github so you more than doubled after that bloomberg article published well that was before before the article published but yeah it, i'm sure it's more than that now it's not something like we regularly check. It's just piqued our interest for the article. So it seems to me that the real barrier to wider adoption is the installation process because installing it, if installing it were as easy as installing Adblock Plus, then we would have a lot more ads being blocked. Do, do you have any ideas for how you could ease the installation of it? Yeah, so we've tried to make it as easy as possible. I mean, you can basically run one command to install it but you have to be somewhat familiar with linux you know usually you have to know a little bit about your network to get it set up so i don't know probably the easiest way would be to somehow you know have it pre-bundled somewhere like with a router or something and it would just work right out of the box that would be probably the most ideal situation I guess this is one of the problems of building a business around open source software is if they wanted to do that, if a router company wanted to do that, they wouldn't have to pay you necessarily, right? No, but they couldn't use our name either because it's trademarked. Oh, it would just have to be ad blocking router. Yeah. And they'd have to, they also have to distribute our source code as part of the terms of the license agreement. So whatever code they did distribute would, you know, whatever modifications they made or whatever would have to be disclosed. What are your other potential business models? We've actually been trying to figure that out recently. I mean, right now we're, we've been trying to run just a fundraiser to see if we can make enough to, you know, live off of it for like a year or something. So we're trying to raise like $100,000 just off donations. I mean, money has been coming in, but it's, you know, not enough for anybody to live off of right now. So we're still, we're just still trying to figure that out. What is required to build Pi-hole? What are the different pieces of software stack that go into Pi-hole? Yeah, so there's basically the DNS server, which is DNS mask. And then we also have a web server. So you can look at log in and look at the stats and everything. And then that's really all it is. I mean, it's at its core, it's a DNS server with a, a block list. So if it's that simple... What is the 80-hour-a-week engineer doing on it? Well, so he's been helping build up our infrastructure so we can keep, you know, working on Pi-hole because all, all our developers are just, you know, scattered throughout the world. So we've never actually met in real life, and we're just working on it over the Internet. So we have – he's been setting up, you know, different utilities for us to use and, like, bug bug trackers and – you know, collaboration tools and whatnot. And then, you know, actually helping out the users takes a lot of time too. And we, we put a pretty big emphasis on that because our community is really what makes us who we are. And without them, like we just, we don't wouldn't really have a product. So we try to help them out as much as we can in the forums. And then, then after all that's done, then we can actually start working on some of the code to, you know, fix bugs or add new features. What are some of the bugs that are being fixed and some of the new features that are being developed? Well, we usually fix the bugs, you know, as soon as we can. So there's not a ton out there. And the the ones that are out there are pretty minor. But then 
we try to go off, you know, feature requests that people have out there on our forums and that, and people vote on them. So we can kind of see which ones people are clamoring for the most. So if the product is so simple, what are some of those newer features that are being focused on? Uh, well, one of them was that installing it on the router. I don't know. There's so many out there. I don't even remember what they all are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what else is in the future for the Piehole project? Right now we're working on FTL DNS, which is basically version four of our software. So we basically took DNS mask and forked it, and we're just adding our own Piehole special sauce on top of it. Like what? What kind of special sauce do you have to add? So we made it so you can increase the cache size, so you can have a little bit more speed. And then we're also adding some some guides out there on how to add like your add your own DNS resolver which might sound confusing you have a DNS server in your DNS server but we're basically setting it up setting up a guide so you can instead of asking Google where a website is you can just ask Pihole and it will be able to go and find it for you so that way you don't have to send any of your information to anybody except yourself can you contrast that why why would you have to be asking Google and how would that contrast with what would happen if you had that piehole special sauce? Basically the only DNS servers out there that know about where your where a website is is the like Microsoft knows where all of its servers are. Google knows where all of its servers are. Facebook knows where all of its servers are. But you have to basically go out and ask a public server where those are. It's really confusing. <laughs> I don't know how well I'll be able to explain it. Well, I think what you're saying is that by virtue of the DNS lookup process today, you have to touch these companies that are incentivized to to be tracking you. So you're giving them information about what you're looking for just by virtue of looking up a, a single web page. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And that seems like a lot of work to be able to disintermediate that. Yeah, I mean, DNS is a, it's very complex. So it's kind of nice to be able to have Pihole to be able to install it and get these kind of benefits. Mm. Well, Jacob, I want to thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily and for starting Pihole. It's been really great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Wow. 